Happy for you to talk us through them as a reminder. Yeah, I think the the, the, the first major point of uh, discontent is that the literally hundreds of submissions made to uh, the National Assembly and National Council of Provinces um, raising various issues, uh, be they financial or legal, uh, but none of these have been considered. Um, and while while we appreciated the opportunity to to find a space to comment, I think it 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 it, it shows um, maybe an attitude of non-collaboration, which is what we would love to see, because healthcare is very important. Google, um, it it starts from being very personal because most of us have got ailments or we've got family members who have one disease or another or you could have one tomorrow. So yeah. it's something that you have to take very seriously. Um, and there are many concerns uh, um, that were raised. Um, there, there are issues that are, are not clear um, in terms of how this will be implemented, how it's going to be funded, are the rights of the users and the practitioners uh, protected. And I think a lot of the commentary has been around uh, those those issues. Hundred percent. I have seen a few headlines where the CEO of Discovery, uh, Adrian Gore, has uh, highlighted that this essentially will just lead to an increase in taxes and a reduction in benefits mm-hmm. for medical scheme members. Naturally, this has been doing the rounds in many WhatsApp family groups, including one of my own. Uh, and this, unfortunately, does raise a lot of panic. So this lack of cohesiveness, lack of camaraderie, lack of collaboration in understanding these concerns uh, has brought about a, a myriad of risks that I'm assuming many of your stakeholders and members uh, are now left to review uh, are there conversations and, and, and further discussions taking place uh, to, to solicit and solve for some of the risks that are involved so I think that the, the issue is that while we contemplate in the bill it's very difficult to uh, formulate a specific plan to mitigate because a lot of issues are, are unclear the first thing is that for medical schemes, um, they will be relegated to providing what is called a complementary cover. We don't understand what that is or what it would what it would actually mean sure. um, in terms of the benefits that are there. So, even if you wanted to plan, uh, there's very little that you can do. And some of these issues are only contemplated once the the benefits advisory committee has been has been set up, but in the least, we expected the bill to to have some clarity. And what we've been saying is that why do you have to, um, from the beginning, indicate that you are curtailing the participation of medical aids? Um, firstly, from, from a, an economic point of view, the medical schemes uh, collect uh, as per, I think, 2020, 21 CMS reports, about 226 billion. It's probably going to about 240 billion rent. Now, that is a sizable amount. It's equivalent to the mining sector. Mm. Uh, the the health private healthcare sector exploit, uh, employ, employs north of 350,000 people. So whatever changes you are going to effect um, in such a, uh, a sector, you're putting a lot of uh, uh, um, even jobs 
um, uh, into into harm's way. Um, and there's also this unrealistic expectation that the money that is collected uh, from schemes uh, would be moved towards uh, the fund, and that is not possible. The only way to fill that gap is what we were referring to earlier, that taxes have to be raised. Mm. And then we could examine that, uh, you know, for a little bit. We sure. we currently have healthcare, yeah. Let's actually go there just for us to get a better understanding. Yeah. I'm glad that you've, you know, elaborated on the fact that there will be a shortage in those particular funds. So this increase in the taxes uh, in an economy like yeah. ours, where again, yeah. uh, the, the, the income levels of South Africa remains under significant pressure, I guess also brings about several risks, any fraud and corrupt activity that might take place and financial yeah. malfeasance. But of course, just the lack of funding that would be made available, essentially rendering NHI useless. Yeah. Yeah, so you've got about 4.2 million or so people who are members of medical schemes. And together with their beneficiaries, they make up to the 9 million that we talk about. The bulk of those uh, 4.2 million actually form the major part of those people who pay taxes. Mm -hmm. So not only are the medical scheme members uh, paying for their own health care with after-tax money, but they are also contributing towards the public purse. Mm. Um, So in a way, you could say that there there is subsidization from from that cohort. Now, if you remove um, the money that schemes uh, collect, the 200 and something odd billion has to come from somewhere, and the only other place is through taxes. You are going to either raise vets by uh, exorbitant amounts, or you're going to uh, raise... uh, uh, personal income tax or even company tax. Uh, there's been people who've been saying that if you look at VAT alone, you might have to increase it to about 21%. Uh, if you get uh, company tax, you might have to double that. Or if it's personal income tax, increase it by at least a third. And there's also talk of what they call payroll taxes. This collected similarly to how we pay for, for pensions or for UIF or the compensation fund. And the Department of Health has been saying that they might um, raise about 6% through payroll taxes, divided uh, unequally between employers and employees, a 5 to 1% split. What that does for employers, it would actually increase the cost of employment for employees, it actually reduces the take the the the, the, um, the take home pay. Now you might very well then move uh, as from a largely formal uh, employment uh, situation to informal, which invariably also then leads to uh, lower taxes being mm-hmm. being collected. And studies from elsewhere, I think we quoted recently a study that was done by the World Bank in 2001 uh, on Colombia when they uh, were structuring their their social security uh, fund. Um, And that for every 10% um, increase in payroll tax, you saw almost a 5% reduction uh, in in employment. So there there could be direct uh, um, uh, uh, impact on on job losses, where the medical aid sector uh, is uh, becomes vulnerable, or with other sectors when you are making the cost of employment unbearable. I, I'm, you know, hearing your your sentiments and. <laughs> 
I am sitting here thinking this surely means that then the implementation of the NHI would be completely irresponsible uh, and potentially reckless, uh, given the horrifying consequences you've highlighted here. Increased taxes, increased unemployment, uh, minimal availability of funds. It just seems as though we're working ourselves into a quagmire. What does this mean for some of your participants or your members? Uh, do you see this potentially being challenged in court uh, should the bill be signed? There's always been talk of that, but at the moment, um, the the bill is just out of the NCOP, mm-hmm. um, and I think the right procedure is that the speaker would have to write a report, uh, uh, accompany uh, the the bill to the president for consideration. Now, the president um, uh, could uh, still consult on it, and we think that there's a window for us to lobby. In fact. Many organizations, including ourselves, have already written to the president to ask him either to send it back to the National Assembly or send it to the Constitutional Court for review. Because some of the the questions that we were asking were about the constitutionality of the bill. That there is one last step before we could formally ask for a judicial review ourselves uh, on the on the bill. Hundred percent. I guess to ensure that there's a level of calm and non-panic that we uh, impl- uh, share with uh, many South Africans, especially those who might have some level of medical um, aid uh, cover or payments that they that they implement. What do we need to know about this, and how do we contextualize this in in essentially discussing the non-sustainability of the NHI in its current form, but still not inhibiting yeah. access to fair and and equal and good quality healthcare in South Africa. Yeah, I think the, the the message right now is that while this is concerning, um, the time to make decisions about your current cover has not come as yet. Um, even if the bill is signed tomorrow, it does not translate into uh, all those coming into effect. There's another step afterwards, uh, that of proclamation. Now, already from the department, we've heard that they're going to uh, consider doing it uh, uh, sequentially, and you may remember Google, other laws like the 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 Popia or Popi Act uh, was enacted a while back, but mm. some of the um, aspects of it only came into effect recently um, because they have to be proclaimed at various uh, uh, times. So, and I'm saying this so that people don't should not think that if there's an announcement tomorrow that the president has signed, it means everything that we've been talking about has actually come into effect. Um, there are processes. Uh, other than the proclamation, uh, they still have to write regulations to operationalize uh, many aspects of the, of the bill. And that in itself takes uh, some time. Uh, there, there, there is a problem of uh, so the process of gazetting uh, these regulations, and there's a three month month above the lobbying that I spoke about, and maybe ask ask asking for ju- ju- judicial review. There's still an opportunity for us to to engage uh, with the with the policymakers, um, and remember also government uh, departments have to act in concert. We've had pronouncements from Treasury that um, that there's no money to fund it. So even if uh, um, the bill is signed, they still have to wait for Treasury to uh, produce the money bill, which will actually direct us as to the funding, etc. 
there's another element. Um, they have to bring on board uh, facilities as well as the practitioners through mm. the accreditation pro- process. And that in itself could be problematic. You may have heard that uh, the Office of Health Standards and Compliance, I think about a year ago, uh, reported that from, um, I think, about 390 or so inspections that they conducted, uh, only about 20% of the facilities in the public sector could could be found to be uh, compliant. 20%? What that could mean, hmm. yeah. What that could mean is that if this is pushed through, you, only, you not only uh, would be limiting access for people who are privately funded, but those who enjoy access through the public sector uh, would uh, suddenly find the facilities that they normally go to not being accessible. So all these things have to be considered. Um, and uh, through through our many discussions, we hope that some of the words that we say will actually make sense uh, and we can start collaborating positively. Dr. Mutudi, I think you've given us a very clear reality snapshot of the challenges that we face uh, with regard to uh, the NHI in its current form. Uh, And I'm glad that you've emphasized that what we are advocating for is not inequality in healthcare service. Every South African needs access to greater quality of healthcare services, but we need to be adequately prepared for it, both in the public as well as the private sector, and also retaining the skill set that we have, because that's another consequence uh, of the NHI, which I see that you've listed briefly in previous articles. Thank you so much for your time this evening, sir. You and I could have this conversation for an hour yet again. So it's certainly not the last of our engagements. And if you missed it live, catch the broadcast on kaya959.co.za.